Welcome back to the Health and Mission Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Evie. And I'm Alexis. And I'm going to go ahead and start us off with our breath work today. So I want to review diaphragmatic breathing and just properly breathing into the diaphragm. So I see a lot of people who breathe just directly into your belly and there's not a lot of rib movement because they don't want to chest breathe. But really, your ribs need to be moving because a diaphragm sits at the bottom of the rib cage. So what you should feel is the lower part of your ribs expanding and your chest is going to move. What you don't want is only the top part of your chest moving because that means we're breathing very shallow. So we're just going to try taking a few deep breaths and really put your hands on the bottom of the ribs and feel that expansion. So let's go ahead and take an inhale for four seconds. And exhale for four. We're going to do that two more times. Go ahead and inhale for four. And exhale for four. And one more time, inhale for four. And exhale for four. Okay. And we're also going to do a really quick review of our health challenge from the visceral manipulation episode. So We've had a couple of weeks where we've had some breaks, so we're a little behind on our health challenge reviews, but I just wanted to chat about that. So our challenge was to kind of feel around your belly and feel if some areas felt a little tighter than others. Um, so I actually, Dr. Tyler recently went to a visceral manipulation course, and so she did a little bit of work on me. Um, so I was having a little bit of pregnancy nausea, and so she um, did a little gentle motility work. So it's really different when you're pregnant because you're not mobilizing the organs, you're just sort of helping them um, with the rhythm of how they move is kind of the easiest way to explain it. Um, but I was having some like every night around dinner time, sometimes before I ate, sometimes after. So it wasn't related to what I was eating. It was just kind of that time of day I was getting some nausea and some heartburn and just like a stomach ache. And after she did that, I haven't had it since. So that was wow. really helpful. So I haven't really been feeling around for tight spots because it's all kind of tight right now. But um, but that yeah. was really helpful for me. So I know we've done some um, visceral manipulation. And if you haven't listened to that episode, make sure you listen because Evie sort of shares her personal experience with that too. Yeah, I, I was doing that. I kind of mm -hmm. have been doing it ever since you've done visceral manipulation on me because I didn't realize that some tight spots around my belly button were related to the stuff that you were doing mm -hmm. so every now and then like if I'm laying in bed I'll kind of feel around my belly and I'll see what feels tight and I'll just kind of press on it a little bit and just give it some gentle love and I feel like that's you know it's not doing exactly what you're doing yeah. but at least it's in the same realm and I'm like yeah. well this might be helping something right and it's still some feedback to that system and and just kind of mobilizing some of that fascia so yeah yeah and I think it's interesting because since I learned what those parts of my you know intestines are yeah. or whatever you were doing now I have a little bit more appreciation for them or I can look into them a little bit more right and say oh like my cecum or you know whatever it is <laughs> yeah. so it's been really cool for me to learn about that and then realize and put the you know pu puzzle pieces together of like okay this feels tight and this could be because of this and so now if I do this then I might feel this relief yeah so it's really interesting to feel how all of that's connected yeah yeah awesome today we are excited to be joined by a friend and colleague of mine Dr. Angela Anya Kani Angela is a physical therapist, a board-certified specialist in geriatric physical therapy, and the owner of Seniority Wellness. Welcome, Angela. 
Hello, ladies. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. We're so excited to talk to you. So let's start with just telling us a little bit about your journey as a PT. Um, You know, I've talked about on here, I'm an orthopedic specialist. We've had Tyler on who specializes in pelvic health. And one of the things that I really wanted to bring to the podcast was talking about all the different places you might see a PT. And so Angela really specializes in working with older adults. So what kind of got you into that? What made you want to specialize in that area? Well, I've been practicing as a physical therapist for uh, 14 years. Uh, When I first graduated from physical therapy school um, from Virginia Commonwealth University in 2007, I I knew that I was primarily wanting to focus on older adults. So my first job was in home health. Um, I was working in a very rural area of Virginia, driving around 300 miles a day, going to home visits in a very rural part of Virginia. I actually know what it's like to put my car on a ferry boat and have to access across water (laughs) to get to someone's house. Oh my goodness. uh, That was my first job. Really enjoyed it. Loved uh, working with people in their homes. Um, and then uh, my next job involved uh, working in the skilled nursing facility, uh, which is a transitional um, unit between having been in the hospital to going home or even patients that were there long term. And I also um, have some experience working with clients in uh, independent and assisted living facilities and as also um, taking care of uh, people with dementia. Okay. So, I mean, these are obviously all areas we know that there are older adults, but I don't know that people maybe realize that physical therapy is in all of those different areas, which is really cool. That's right. That's right. So, um, what was kind of the thing that you were like, I love working with older adults. Was it when you were in school, when you were on a clinical or you kind of knew that going into school? Well, it was back to when I was in undergrad that I, um, when I had to declare a major and decide, you know, what was I going to to do with my life? What type of uh, profession was I going to go into? I always knew that I wanted to uh, pursue the medical field, doing something where I was helping people, but it really didn't come to me um, to choose to be a physical therapist until I just, I all of a sudden had this memory of when I was 10 years old and uh, my grandma had a stroke. I was in sixth grade and I remember my mom saying that my grandma had a stroke and she was in the hospital. And me and my grandma were really close and I uh, was worried about her and it affected her entire left side, more her, more so her arm than her left. And even at the young tender age of 11, 12, after she was getting over her recovery and everything, I would help her with her exercise. So I would Mm -hmm. help her, you know, put her hands together and lift her arms up. And I would supervise her when she was uh, having to walk with a cane. And this was all a change from, um, what she could do before the stroke had happened. And I just, I just remember that experience and feeling like my grandma is needs help and she's in a very vulnerable position. And I I felt sad by mm-hmm. just seeing that the grandma that I once knew that was vibrant and could walk and was active and live by herself. And now is having to depend on a cane and someone supervising her um, now having a few falls and just being weak and just being dependent on someone to help them. So that was like a heart trigger for me in realizing that this population, there's such a high need and it it needs people that care Mm -hmm. and people that have compassion for wanting to help them to be their best. Um, And and, in my grandma's experience, um, I, I was saddened by, like I said, what had happened to her. And then she ended up in the nursing home. So she couldn't go back to her house to live by herself. And it just changed. It just changed her entire life. Yeah. And I, I felt like I, I really want to um, put an impact on that population. I really want to help people. So I've only really had a strong desire and care for older adults. Yeah. As, okay. You know, as far as it being my passion um, and the type of physical therapist that I want it to be. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that story. And I think 
everybody has a reason why they chose the path they did. And and I love to kind of dig into that with people because I actually didn't even know that about you, <laughs> that that happened and that was your motivation behind all of this. So that's amazing. Um, so now you have your own business. Yes. So tell us a little <laughs> bit, you know, we love to talk about entrepreneurship too. Mm. So tell us a little bit about why you started your business and tell us a bit about your business. So um, I'm the owner and founder of Seniority Wellness and Consulting, which is a mobile physical therapy and wellness service that uh, provides care for older adults in the comfort of their home. Um, I'm like the clinic on wheels, I like to call it. So contrary to where people would have to go to physical therapy uh, at an outpatient clinic, um, I bring care to them. And, but this is uh, not to be uh, confused with home health. So home health is provided by an agency. It usually involves a full care team of uh, rehab professionals, a social worker and nursing, and is usually an avenue of care when someone is transitioning um, out of the hospital and needing to, needing the support of um, a team to get become medically stable. Mm-hmm. Um, this service is even though it's provided in the home, it's not considered home health. It's more like just mobile physical therapy and and providing care in the home is just it's my personal preference of where I rather give care, and I um, accept um, certain uh, insurance plans, um, out-of-pocket expenses um, to cover services, just depending on the, the situation. And um, like I said, it's like bringing outpatient to them. It's just where I choose to give care and it's in the home and it doesn't follow a lot of the uh, regulatory guidelines and rules that uh, you have to have uh, when you're getting care for for home health. So it's, it's in me having my own business. If I wanted to service people and be a PT and as an entrepreneur, it's that I could have my own clinic, but I'd rather go to their house mm-hmm. and just be, you know, give private one-on-one care. So, um, I started the business, uh, fall of 2019. I, uh, still can't believe that I own my own business. I mean, I'm an <laughs> entrepreneur cause I never thought that this was something that I would ever do. Um, truth be honest. Um, I'm, I'm from Virginia. And, uh, when I moved here to Ohio in 2018, I was at a point in my career where I felt like, um, for all that I wanted to give and do, uh, it was going to, ha- it was going to take me having to be my own, uh, my own boss to mm-hmm. make that happen. Yep. And, um, it was going to, it was going to take me having to create, uh, a service and a business model that meant I I'm doing things my way. Yeah, <laughs> I'm doing yeah. things um, in a way that I feel like should be done on part of this vulnerable population. So launched a business in fall of 2019. Um, and, and it's um, I, I, t- I call this seniority wellness. Cause to me, uh, when you think of the word seniority, it means that someone has achieved a point in life or a, a status of them earning a higher um, benefit of some, some sort yeah. when you think about, you know, what the word seniority means, but then it's also catchy because it has the word senior in it and, and working with older adults um, as much as some don't like to be considered a senior, <laughs> I usually will say seniority. Adult. So it's kind of catchy. It's kind of twofold. I like yeah, that. Yeah. And then having an umbrella uh, name of wellness and consulting, because it includes um, multiple services that the business can offer, not just one-on-one skill, physical therapy in the home, but also group wellness programs, workshops, mm-hmm. um, consulting with other businesses in the senior space to help them with their uh, clients, um, improve how they're providing their services. And and one example is that is like a non-medical aid company. So you have aides that are going in to give care 
And, you know, I would consult with them about how they can take care of themselves to take care of the older person or Mm -hmm. how they can work with them with some of their mobility um, recommendations that was either prescribed by me or another physical therapist. So it's an umbrella term instead of just saying physical therapy. Physical therapy is just one avenue of services that the business can offer. Um, It's it's just an umbrella term to encompass a a multitude of different things that can be provided in the community. Yeah. Do you feel like there's so, an advantage to working with people in their home because you actually get to help them with the 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 step that they're going to be going up to go up to their room or like their actual space versus going into a clinic? It's not always the same exact thing as what they're encountering at home. Do you feel like that's one of the advantages of being there? And then also, I'm mm-hmm. sure it's comfortable for the client mm-hmm. or the patient to not have to go to a clinic or it's just a little bit more convenient for them. Yes, there are a lot of benefits to helping someone at home. Um, one, it's accessible. Obviously, if they don't have to leave the house to um, go out for another appointment, especially if they don't drive, um, especially if they are cognitively impaired or visually impaired, if they have to depend on someone to safely get out of the house, um, that that can be a a big chore, especially for um, having either a, a working son or daughter that would have to take off work to take them if they needed physical therapy. Um, so that's one of the benefits of it, accessible convenience. Um, another benefit is, you know, seeing where there are challenges to them being successful with their mobility that I otherwise wouldn't see if they were coming to a clinic to work with me, whether it is the steps, whether it's the bathroom, the bed, um, you know, you can make exercise recommendations for someone, mobility recommendations, but where they're going to do these things is where it matters to actually see how how they're going to be successful. Otherwise, your recommendations won't matter. So mm-hmm. the home is is where people spend mo- the majority of their time targeting a lot of issues and just, you know, just being able to provide a full rounded service for helping them in so many ways, not just that they're weak and they need exercise, but they have environmental factors that need to be looked at so that they're safer to age in place at home. So mm-hmm. that's why I like working with people at home because I feel like I can give them more bang for the buck. Like I can yeah. just assess and, and really see a lot of different things that they're challenged by in order to help them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's, I'm sure it's simple things like, Hey, let's just move this table a little this oh, yeah. way, or let's pick up these rugs or whatever that they may not tell you are there and may not even realize it's a barrier until you are there and can kind of help them assess that and watch them move in the space. That's right. So, um, okay, this is kind of a loaded question, but we can kind of work through it. So, um, you know, you work with a lot of older adults, so I'm sure that you've seen some different things that you're like, wow, this person's really healthy because they've done this or that. And and just with your studies of, of understanding that population, what are things that anyone can start doing at any age that um, can help them promote healthy aging moving forward? So, um, you know, I think one misconception that I see is people thinking it's like too late to do anything. Mm-hmm. So that's why I want to ask about any age, there's probably things we can be doing, right? So what are your big recommendations there? Well, it's, it's absolutely uh, never too late. Um, today is the day to yes. start, no matter how old you are. Uh, it is absolutely never too late. Um, it, I will start by saying, too, it's inevitable. We're all going to get old. Mm-hmm. We are all going to age. Our bodies are all going to be impacted some way, shape, or form by getting older, even down to the cellular level yes. <laughs> within our bodies. Aging is going to happen to all of us. Uh, and this is exclusive of pathology, exclusive mm-hmm. of disease. We are all going to get older and our bodies are going to change. And I am a firm believer that exercise is medicine. 
And everyone hears that here and there, you know, exercise, movement, this and that. But it it truly is. It truly is one of the key pillars of success for getting older. Um, you know, as we get older, our joint structures change, um, which leaves us to be more susceptible to to back pain, joint pain of any sign if we're not mobile. Um, the condition of our cardiovascular systems change. So, you know, if we're not, you know, getting that active cardiovascular exercise where our heart can, you know, pump some good blood into our bodies, um, we need that. We need those things to help us uh, feel better, uh, look better, do better, and and just and, and maintaining our independence. So, it's never, um, it's you know, if you're if you're listening and you're in your fifties and you've never ever really been an exercise person, I'm telling you now is the time to start. <laughs> now is the definite time to start. And that I think that, and I say that because the fifty the fifties decade is where I think the most significant change mm. will start mm-hmm. to happen. Undoubtedly. Yeah. So, so significant that you will feel, see (laughs) everything, you know, Uh, subtle changes start to happen, you know, probably within the forties and maybe late thirties. But the fifties are quite significant. And um, I think even if you reach the seventies and you still had an art, it's never too late. It can all make a difference that if you do start with something and I, that it will matter in how you feel. And I highly recommend that for people that have no exercise background, no um, insight to exercise at all, that they consult with a professional that mm-hmm. definitely understands the aging body and how they can do exercise successfully so that they don't injure themselves. Yes. Yeah. Because the body, the fact that the body has changed, you have to be mindful to your position, your technique, your form, how you do things so that you don't hurt yourself Yeah, because your body is different. You can't yeah. just go out here and bust a burpee <laughs> in, in any way that you think you can, you yeah. know what I mean? Or go to the gym and pick up a dumbbell and raise it up over your head multiple times and think that uh, you're doing the right thing right. necessarily. It's a lot of things to be considered, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're older. And I I strongly recommend a professional to help. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, PT is a great place to start for like, quote unquote, injury prevention. But I have a lot of personal trainers that I've like networked with, and I know what their specialty areas are. And there's certainly people who are well qualified. I think the problem with the, and any trainer will tell you this is there's no governing body. And so I think sometimes training gets Mm. a little bit of a bad rep because Mm. there's a wide range of what you need to do to become a personal trainer. Mm. Um, But there are those who are really specialized and have a ton of training Mm. and they know what they're doing. And those are the people that you want to work with to help you. And you don't always have to be super sore. Mm -hmm. I mean, once you get in a regular exercise routine, you really shouldn't be sore all of the time. I think that's one thing that maybe turns people off if they're achy or getting older Mm -hmm. is, well, I already kind of hurt. I don't want to exercise. And then I'm really sore. Well, then we're not doing it right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. that's where we really need to seek some guidance Mm -hmm. too. So I I see that in my clinic and I'm sure you see some of that too. And I, I agree. I mean, I work with a lot of people who it's interesting to see the changes between decades Mm -hmm. and and you definitely do see some changes in that 50 fifties range of, wow, there's some stuff going on here. And and those that are moving are doing much, much better. Mm -hmm. So, and I've had people say to me, I didn't want to do this, but I'm glad I did. I didn't want to start, but Mm -hmm. I'm glad I did. 
um, it, it, it was uncomfortable in the beginning, but then it got better, yeah. you know, I mean, because they had never done it before. And so just having that courage to start is where I think people just have to get over that hump, Yeah, you know, just and to begin. I think mm -hmm. that's the hardest part. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I think it's, they get so set in not doing it or they feel so far behind mm -hmm. that right. getting started feels so daunting mm -hmm. because like, oh, I haven't worked out in years or in months or where am I going to start or I'm, I'm going to get hurt or I already feel mm -hmm. hurt or... And it's just, you've got to start somewhere. Maybe it is starting with like walking every day, like at least moving every day. Mm -hmm. And then maybe, you know, accelerating from there and seeking out a professional to help you, but you've got to move every day. Like there's no question about that. That's yeah, right. absolutely. So, you know, this is something I hope everyone listening, take that advice for yourself, but then also, you know, that's something to encourage your family members mm -hmm. to, to do as well. And that's really what I want to dive into next. And uh, what we want to talk about here is, advocating for the older adults in our lives. Um, so what's kind of your recommendation and, and just sort of how do you go about having these conversations? I'm sure you, you talk a lot with family members mm -hmm. and caregivers. So let's dive a little bit into that and how we can start to advocate for older adults in our lives. Or, you know, even for me, like my parents are still young and working and whatnot, mm -hmm. but it's something that is always in the back of my mind of like what happens in 15, 20 years with my in-laws and my parents and, and where do we go from there and have those conversations. So full disclaimer, this is not to provoke fear in anyone <laughs> listening. Uh, this is, I hope, our, you know, that, that over the course of our conversation now, um, people will feel empowered and feel um, encouraged. Yeah. Because, uh, so this is not to provoke fear in any way. Um, I think in seeing older adults in our, in our families, in our lives where they are still vibrant, mm -hmm. they're still driving, they still are at home independently, or they might still be working that they are, uh, they're fine. Mm -hmm. They're okay. You know, Oh, well, you know, they, they look, they look fine to me. They're still doing as I know that they've been doing so that they're, they're fine. However, um, it, it may be a good idea to start kind of reevaluating and looking at, all right, you know, that they, that they eat pretty well, they're getting pretty, good rest and sleep that the stress level is mm -hmm. not as big. Um, do they drink or smoke? And what does that look like? Are they checking in with their doctor for their routine wellness checkups? Have they, ha are they up to date with all of their scans and images and all that? Are they, are they taking medications like they're supposed to, you know, so that's just kind of that being in the, the in the know, you mm -hmm. know, or yeah. just the, the checklist of things that they, that they should be doing or, or have in place on top of that. They, they look good. They're doing fine. So in, in knowing that, um, are they good there? Okay. So that's like a preventative. Okay. Yeah, they're great. So we, um, probably don't need to discuss, well, if something were to happen, sure. um, what would that mean? Yes, we do need to talk about that. <laughs> you know, uh, we do need to talk about that. We need to have a, an understanding that mm -hmm. if, if something happens to mom or dad, if they end up in the hospital, if they get sick and their mobility is impacted where they can no longer work, they can no longer live in this house by themselves. What are we going to do? Mm -hmm. And it's having the conversation in a way that is allowing them to choose because it is their life mm -hmm. and them choosing is, um, what they will feel empowered about. This isn't about you. And well, you know, I don't want them to, I don't want them to be a burden. I'm living my life. So if something happens, you know, what about me? This is not about you. It's about them. So it's, it's starting to have the conversation in a way that, you know, mom or dad, 
I just want to make sure that if something were to happen to you, if 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 you couldn't be at this house alone, if if your mobility was impacted, what would you want? Mm-hmm. What how can I best help you? Um, it would I I would be best. I'm best helping you if I know exactly what you want. And I I would rather we start having this conversation now so that I'm aware Mm -hmm. that I'm doing all I can do that's according to your wishes. Sure. So to give some examples of uh, some of those, those topics and thoughts are, are with the home. You Mm -hmm. know, if, if you couldn't live here anymore, would you want me to sell your house? And then we downsize to a smaller place a smaller place that's an apartment, a smaller place that's a condo, a smaller place that's a, a ranch mm-hmm. that, you know, maybe doesn't have steps, you know, that you can age in place. Um, so let's let's start start there. And a lot of people don't want to think about that they can't be in their house anymore. That's where they made memories. That's where they raised their kids. But if it's a two-story house with a lot of steps mm-hmm. and, um, you know, a lot going on that's not conducive to be mobility friendly if they're, you know, end up in a wheelchair or on a walker. It's it's being in the know and understanding that what are we going to do with this house? Sure. Should we should we sell it and use it as an asset to downsize or would you want to make renovations to this place? Are we looking at putting a, a lift chair on the on the stairs? Are we uh, needing to widen the bathroom and put grab bars in? So are we are we using your assets to change this place or would you rather we look at something that's more um conducive to where you're at like a smaller place yeah. so that that is a choice and then mm-hmm. them choosing there's not a fight later of you just having to think about and decide what to do they've already made the choice ahead mm-hmm. of time so you already are aware do they even have the assets to change the house up with where it is sure. or would they be okay that you would sell the house to then downsize to something else and then another thing is well, now, you know, something's happened to mom or dad. They're in the hospital. Um, they can't come home. We don't know when they'll be able to come home to be at home. So, um, mom or dad, are you okay that we would have to look at, uh, senior, uh, placement for you, like mm-hmm. a senior care residence of some sort? Um, and if so, you know, you got an idea, can we start kind of thinking about maybe some places that you think you would like, you know? Yeah. I'm not saying you have to, ju- to dive right in and have tours and do all those things, but in in, t- in talking about a, a, a senior residence of some sort, they're going to get the full care, you know, meals, aids, all 24-7. Or that is not what they want, that if I'm moving you to a home or a smaller place, that we're going to bring staff in. We're going to bring aides in to look after you. So it's like I said, it's it's looking at those options, but it's putting it out there where mom or dad is saying, absolutely, this is what I want. Mm-hmm. And you already are aware of that. So y'all, you all can kind of look at, can we plan for that? And, sure. and the choice is already made. So yeah. there's no one fighting with you or, or upset with you. You mm-hmm. want to maintain the um, the relationship, you know, it's right. your parents, you want to, you know, and a lot, I think that's why a lot of people avoid it because yeah. they don't want to cause any um ill feelings within the the relationships of their parents you know mm-hmm. they don't want to you know yeah, it's like no the disrespect. integrity of that relationship right. like you want to you want to keep their dignity for right. them right like that's in right. the in the fight or flight mode of like oh my gosh we have to make this decision like where do you go what happened like you have a two week days to decide that can be really stressful Very and stressful. you could make maybe the wrong decision or regret the decision you make if you don't think it through and have that kind of mapped out beforehand that's right 
And so I think in, in, in having the conversation in advance where you're asking them and you're presenting these options so they can mm-hmm. think about and choose, then you already know. We already know what can be covered. We already know what they can afford. We already know what we can do. Because once you're in crisis mode, you're driven by emotion and you're driven by emotion to make a choice that means it relieves the burden from you because you're living your life or you're mm-hmm. taking care of your family. But then if it's not what they wanted, then it's going to be a very challenging situation of maintaining the integrity of that relationship if it wasn't what they wanted. And you and it's good that you're having the conversation in a friendly way, you know, like I want to it matters to me that I'm making a choice on your behalf for what you want. Then later when it's stressful and you choose something that they didn't want and then they're upset and mm-hmm. then they are not going to thrive in the area or the environment that you put them in or whatever is the, is because it wasn't what they wanted. Yeah. Um, and, and people think their parents are invisible. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, my mom passed away 14 years ago and I would have never thought that I would have lost my mom at the age of 60. Yeah. Um, and we didn't, we didn't have a chance to have this conversation because everything happened so fast, but, I haven't had this, having been around a lot of older adults and worked in the field for 14 years and seeing a lot of different family dynamics. I think it definitely matters when we are sitting down and having the talk sooner than Mm -hmm. later. And we already know all the wishes are laid out there of what they want. And we already know we we can handle that. Um, Because then once it becomes a flight or flight situation, a crisis, and mom or dad is um, resenting making a choice or doing anything, then it becomes harder to move forward with mm-hmm. putting them in a place that's safe. So then you're stressed out because you're worried about them and are they okay? And if we already knew these things, we yeah. already had the conversation early on, then it, even when things are changing, we already know what we're doing mm-hmm. because we've already had the conversation. Yeah. I think these are great starting points and great questions to ask parents. And, you know, it sounds like it just needs to be more of a like, hey, I just want to talk through these things. And I love the way that you put it. It's like, let's just avoid doing this in crisis mode um, because then you already know and they're going to be upset. You know, obviously, if something happens and they're losing their mobility, they have a lot of things that they need to mentally and emotionally process. Mm-hmm. So they don't want to be answering questions about their home either. Like if you've already established what's happening, I'm sure that's helpful. Um, this is also a tough question, but do you have any recommendations for like the children of parents who maybe are very resistant to trying to care for themselves a little better and you're trying to encourage them like, hey, let's exercise a little bit. Let's see what we, what you can do to get yourself feeling better. And they're resistant to that um, or resistant to allowing help in the home when maybe they're in a place where they really could use it. What Do you have any recommendations? For, I know it's tough and family dynamics are difficult, um, but any recommendations based off of your experience? So the the first step is coming to terms with the pain point. Mm-hmm. What is what is it about their life that they want to still do? Is it see the grandkids, mm-hmm. you know, that they need to, or is it care for the grandkids? You know, they got to be active to care for grandkids. Yeah. Whether it's get down on the floor and play with them or pick them up, yeah. hold them. yeah. Um, that's one thing. Is it a trip coming up? Are we going on vacation somewhere? We got to get on an airplane. We going to go, we got to do a lot of walking. Um, is it, um, a family gathering and that we did, we do every year, you know, with Mm -hmm. the holidays and it's always at someone's house that has stairs. 
someone's house that, you know, there's a lot going on. The bathroom, you know, is a little narrow. I mean, it's just to give some examples. It's what is it that they are, what is it in their life that they look forward to, whether it's an event, whether it's an activity and them being motivated to still be well to do those Mm -hmm. things. You yeah. know, so in finding the pain point, finding what matters to them is how you can then attach the behavior or the or what we need to do in order to still be able to do the things that we love. Right. Yeah. And what are those things? Um, I hate to say this, but it's I look for I first of all, I look for that pain point in every client that I work with. You know, why are we here? What yeah. is the point of doing all these things? You know, yes, we're getting older. We want to feel better, but we have to attach that to a physical idea, something mm-hmm. that they can concretely reckon with, you know, and what that is. So, you know, I have a client right now and they want to go to on a big trip in a year and he has to be well for the trip. It's going to be a lot of walking and travel mm-hmm. and, and they want to go. And, you know, if he's sitting around looking at the wall all day, he's not going to be well for that trip, right. you know, yeah. but they really want to go on this trip. So, um, I, I look for that. Like, what's the point? What's the why? You know, and and I hate to say that, unfortunately, COVID has stripped that why from a lot of people mm-hmm. because where our older adults have had to be more shut in and can't get out to the grocery store sure. or get out to uh, to the bingo hall mm-hmm. or to go play bridge with their friends or go out to their weekly lunch meetings with their friends from church or even go to church. Like all those things have changed. Yeah. So, um you know, those were the motivating factors of what they could still do the things that they enjoy. And I just look for what is that in particular for someone? Cause it's different mm-hmm. for everyone. What is it that they still want to do that they enjoy? So the harsh reality is an understanding that if we're not maintaining a level of activity and engagement of some sort, those things aren't going to, we're not going to be able to do those things. Sure. We're, you yeah. know, we're not, we're not yeah. going to be able to still get out and enjoy, you know, cause if I have to as the adult son or daughter that's helping you do these things, if I have to give you more hands-on help to do it, if it's going to take more time, then then it's going to get to a point where we're not going to be able to do it as often or as much. So that I think is a, is an encouraging factor to identify with the motivating points of yeah. what, what they still want to be able mm-hmm. to do. Um, and it is their choice. Sure. You know, it's, it, it is their decision that if they, you know, just don't want to do anything And so to kindly put it, well, you know, mom or dad, I really want to be able to help you as best I can, but I can't help you if you're not helping yourself. Yeah. This is a team effort. Right. And, and I don't think, you know, no one genuinely wants to be a burden on their adult kids, but in, but in all reality, it will reach a point where if we're becoming too resistive to things, we are, Yeah. and they are. And, and, and so, and, and they shouldn't want that you know, that that would be the case. But I think we have to approach it like this is a team effort. Like mm-hmm. I'm wanting to help you with what you need, but I need you to do your part yeah. too, you know, yeah. because it, it is going to take them having to do their part too. Yeah. Um, you know, aging comes at people in a lot of different ways. And sure. like I said, this is exclusive of disease. So then mm-hmm. when you throw disease on top of it, whether you have high blood pressure or a history of cancer, or you've had a stroke or you have Parkinson's, you know, that just escalates the right. whole thing, yeah. you know? So this is, this is where, you know, we've mostly been talking exclusive of disease, but when you bring, when you put disease on top of it, inevitably, so it's going to be a challenging time. 
Yeah, absolutely. No, I think these are all great points. And, you know, Evie and I know just as PTs and you do the same thing, I'm sure with your patients, like I tell my patients all the time, I'm not fixing you. Like I'm just here to guide you. I'm, I'm a coach. I'm here to support you. It's kind of the same thing with your parents. Mm -hmm. I'm here to guide you. I'm here to support you. I'm here to give you whatever I can, but you have to meet, you have to do the work. You have to do your home exercise Mm -hmm. program for Evie. You have to, you know, make the changes that we talked about this week and, and try these things and improve your sleep. And, um, you know, we, I think all of us need to always keep that in mind that we can't go to someone and expect this major result if we're not putting in the time and effort in our own, on our own as well. So, and we also need to find out what are the, what are the barriers or the challenges because to make recommendations and not be aware of the barriers and the challenges that people are facing with in life, they won't be able to set their themselves up for success if we have not identified the barriers and the challenges. Yeah. You know, so if, you know, if you know, you're not a morning person, it's really hard for you to get out of bed first thing in the morning. Okay. Well, you can exercise later, but when are you going to do that? When are you going to make that appointment with yourself that this is when you need to show up to to do these things or to take care of it? Um, or just like, you know, taking medication on a routine schedule, you know, I mean, we all have to try to strategize with what we need to be doing so that we will be um, successful. Yeah. I love that you brought up the, like you said, the pain point or the why, because it's always like our actions have to lead to the why. So if the why is I want to play with my grandkids, I want to be mobile enough for them. What actions are you taking to lead you to that? And so I always go back to that with my own clients of like, okay, you said this was the goal because we set goals when we first meet. So we have our goals written out, but what you're doing day to day, week to week, isn't really adding up to that. So does that mean the goal needs to change because that's not actually the goal or does it mean we need to change the strategy? Like you said. So I think there's a lot of options, a lot of angles to go about it, but it's a matter of actually starting that conversation and being very open about it and just, you know, transparent of like, this is what we have to do because I care about you Mm -hmm. and I want to help support you. So how can I do that? And maybe that is like you work out once a week with your parent, right? Like maybe you go on like a family walk or like you meet up on a Saturday morning at a park and you guys walk for an hour and you talk. And that's also part of like community Mm -hmm. and movement. So there's so many different ways that we can help our parents and our family members, um, that it doesn't have to feel so like grueling for them to get started. Yeah. Yeah. Or if you're aware of the community, the exercise class, you know, for older adults, like particularly older adults that are, are participating in this class and you're aware of where it is and what time it is. And you decide this is a good t- chance to, to get them, you know, signed up or, or routinely taking them. So this is something that they look forward to every week. It's that this time on this day and they have community around them to, um, to enjoy it. Um, but you know, this, it's, it's usually until something has really happened that people then can see and feel I'm different than what I was. While they're still independent, living at home, working, what looks to be doing well, mm-hmm. it's hard to really wrap our brains around thinking about what could be. And that's why I indicated early on about the checklist of are we at least doing some sense of exor- some form of exercise, you know, taking our medications like we should, getting our routine checkups. Um, it's usually not until people have hit crisis, something has happened, they've fallen, um, they have injured themselves, and now physically they can really tell that, oh, I'm different than what mm-hmm. I used to could. And then the, the the pain point and motivating factor becomes wanting to get back to the way they were. Yeah. You know, and so because they, they can kind of identify with, I know I'm not the way I was. Yeah. So that helps on that end. But before it even gets to that point, it's like there are definitely subtle things that can be done right. that people should be doing um, early on yeah. before it gets to that point. 
Absolutely. So I think you've kind of touched on this a little bit, but just to kind of give like a concise answer, what might we notice in older adults, whether it's our parents or our grandparents or a family friend that would make us say, hey, maybe you should see a PT outside of pain? Because I think that's what everyone thinks of, right? Or they had surgery. What might you see that says, you know, hey, this older adult could benefit from seeing somebody like you? That is a, that's a, that's a great question because, you know, I'm, it's hard for me not to pay attention to older adults in the community when I'm just out and about. Uh, but I do. I'm watching them all <laughs> the, the time. the curse of the PT, watching everyone walking. I'm watching them. Watching, the, watching, I'm watching them their arms move. All and, yeah. the time. And I'll just give a couple examples. I was at the uh, a gas station one time and I was watching this lady get out of her car very slow. And she starts walking towards the, uh, the, the store, I guess, to either pay for her gas or do whatever she was going to do in there. Her feet were barely coming off the ground. Mm. <laughs> I mean, she was barely picking her feet up and I was holding my breath. Oh, I'm sure. That yeah. She was going to make it to the building safely. Yeah. Right. She was not using a cane or walker. She's just walking and she could, she was barely picking her feet up. Another example, I was in a store and I noticed a woman who was, uh, needs to step down off the curve. And mm. this store had these concrete pillars that were by the curve. And she had to support herself on the concrete pillar to step off of the curve. Mm. And I thought, well, what if that was, was not there? there right? yeah. like, what if that didn't exist for her? And she was not, she was not using a, a support device or anything either. And then she went on about her way and was, you know, barely picking her feet up too and moving really slow to get to the car. Uh, and then a third example I will give, um, this whole posture position of being more flex forward mm -hmm. and curved to the side. And it's like, Hmm, that did not happen just yesterday. Right. That has been a progressive change over time. And I wonder, have they seen a physical therapist? Mm -hmm. Have they seen someone to give them some advice for postural mm -hmm. uh, adjustment of some sort strategy because as our body as we become more flex forward it changes our center within our base which can affect our balance so having good posture matters and in older people where their posture starts to change significantly through their spine it didn't just happen yesterday yeah this, this is a progressive change and to find out that they've never had PT and they've been seeing somebody, mm -hmm. a physician. Someone has seen them over the course of sure. a few years yeah. and no one has said anything about it. Mm -hmm. And and not just the change in the, the posture, but also that they're having pain too. It's right. like, wow, um, that is very concerning to me, you know? Yeah. Um, so, you know, seeing some of these... Um, subtle changes in mobility, obviously that add up over time. It's like, you know, now is the time to have the assessment, you know, yeah. to really look at leg strength, balance, uh, mob mobility in a lot of different, uh, physical circumstances. Can they get on and up, get up and down off the floor, how they get up and down from a chair, how they get in and out of bed, get in and out of the car. If it takes a lot of time to do that, um, that's not how it's supposed to be, you know? And if you know that person, you've seen them do that task yes. before. So yes. if it looks different to yes. you, that's yes. probably a good indication, mm -hmm. right? Yes. Um, I think that sometimes it doesn't, people don't think to send their 
family member to PT or a physician may not think until they're actually falling. That's right. But we know that falls can lead to a lot of complications. Mm -hmm. Um, And so if you can catch someone and get them into PT before they're falling, that is much, much better than waiting until they have their first fall. That's right. And if they're also reaching out in the home for mm-hmm. the wall, are they reaching out the furniture to, walkers, the furniture walkers, or they're reaching out to hold on to you yeah. to walk out in public? You know, they're grabbing your arm. They see, they don't seem as confident in mm-hmm. their mo their mobility. This is not uh, normal to aging. Yeah. So let's just be clear that our aging bodies, even though they're going to change a lot of what we're talking about in these examples, this is not normal to getting old. This yeah. is not what we should expect that getting old is going to look like. Sure. And also, you know, when people are first diagnosed with any type of neurodegenerative condition that over time it's going to progress and is going to affect their mobility, whether it's Parkinson's, whether it's multiple sclerosis, if they've had a stroke in the past that, um, resulted in residual uh, limb weakness, uh, a PT should be on their healthcare team, hands down. Like it should, should be on their healthcare team to check in with every six months, once a year. Am I still doing well? Am I okay? Um, still doing my exercises like I'm supposed to. Uh, it, is, it is critical because things will change and having someone as the go-to that's familiar with you, have, have already assessed you and is familiar with what they know you can do. Mm-hmm. As a, at a baseline will make a difference in you getting that help as you get older. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I love that point you made of like, yeah, these things can happen as you age, but you don't have to lose your balance. You don't have to lose your strength. I mean, there's this woman that I follow on Instagram. I think her handle's like train with Jane. Joan. Joan. Joan yeah. Yes. She's Joan. like 70. She is you mentioned so it. Strong. I did not. Joan Thompson is phenomenal. Um, She's amazing. Joan, if you're listening, we love you. <laughs> I don't um, if Joan listens to this podcast, I'm, oh my gosh. Joan, <laughs> Joan started it. her health journey three just three years yeah. ago. She was only 70 years old and she was uh, 198 pounds at like five, three or four. Her daughter is very into the uh, body fitness mm-hmm. space, uh, heavy uh, bodybuilding, physical training, yeah. physique and all that. And her daughter basically sat down with her and said, mom, I need you. I, you know, I, I need to help you. And, yeah. and she was with it. And Joan is, she looks very phenomenal at 73. And she's so strong she's and she does strong. a ton of strength training, mm-hmm. which I love. We talk about strength training on the podcast all the time. It's not just for certain populations. No. It's for any yes, age, right. That's right. any age, because I mean, think she about just like looks more vibrant right. too. Yeah. She has a lot of energy and a ton of Instagram followers. Yes. She's awesome. Yes. So, you know, it's about being able to still pick things up and mm-hmm. it's not normal to be losing your balance. I even see patients sometimes it shocks me how many of my patients are like, yeah, my balance stinks. And I'm like, if it's bad now, like you got to work on that. Like you can make it better. Mm -hmm. And there's never an age where you stop being able to build strength. It might take a little bit longer Mm -hmm. and more effort and more Mm -hmm. effort. Mm -hmm. Um, but you can still do it. And Mm -hmm. I think she's such a great Testament to that. Um, but we just need to keep that in mind. You're never too old to lift weights. You're never too old Mm -hmm. to do any type of exercise you want to do. So, um, I think that's put that plug out there. She's very inspirational. She is inspirational. I I think it's really cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I I think that's the greatest part about it is it's not like she's someone who has dedicated her entire life to fitness. This is something she decided to do at an older age where most people will just throw their hands up and say, well, this is just how it goes for me. This is who I am and I'm old and this is how it is. That is not true. 
That yeah. is, is not true. In, in, in all the research studies on aging, um, the, for what are the norms, the norms yeah. of what we expect, what we can expect. And there are studies, several studies that research all these things, different activities, different tasks, different assessments. At this age, this is what you should look like. This is how it should be. It's still pretty high functioning. Yes. You know, yeah. and it's what I use a lot in my work and assessing people and, and showing them that at 75, doing this activity, repeated sit to stand from a chair, not using your arms in 30 seconds, that this is the number of reps you should be able to do. And this is the norm. Yeah. So this is what this is what we should expect. And even though you can't do it now, there's a lot of potential to work towards that mm-hmm. you can. Um, so we, we actually should expect more of our older adults. We should expect that they can do more and that they can live better. And that starts with encouraging them and empowering them, uh, early on, but it's never too late for wherever they're at to start putting it in their mind that they could be and should be doing better. I love that. I Mm -hmm. love that point. That's awesome. Well, this was, I think, all very, very helpful. Um, so, Angela, can you provide a health challenge for our listeners for this week? My health challenge is that you will devote at least 10 minutes a day of stretching, mobilization, just moving your joints gently, moving mm-hmm. your body gently, waking things up, <laughs> uh, holding the stretch with a nice, subtle breath. Um, just to turn things on and wake things up. Um, just those gentle movements can go a long way. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I love that. So where can people find you if they have questions, your website, Instagram, wherever it is that you're kind of putting information out there. So, uh, my website is www.senioritywc.com. Again, www.senioritywc.com. I'm also on Facebook and Instagram at seniority wellness. And uh, LinkedIn, Dr. Angela Anyakani. Perfect. All right. And you can find me at Absolute Kinetics PT on Instagram. And I'm on Instagram at Holistically Restored. Have a great week, everyone.